Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast about new choral music and the conductors, composers, and choristers who create it. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! Let's open today's episode with a taste of what we'll be discussing this week, the new sound of all-gender a cappella singing at Yale. Here's the Dukes of Yale performing Ed Sheeran's Lego House on their 2020 album, This Name, Volume 1. the places and build a Lego house When things go wrong we can knock it down My three words have two meanings But there's one thing on my mind It's all for you And it's not gonna call December But I got you to keep me warm From the storm that's raging on now I'm out of touch, I'm out of love I'll pick you up when you're getting down And out of all these things I've done I think I love you better now I'm out of sight, I'm out of mind I'll do it all for you in time
right, joining us today on In Unison is Morgan Baker. And Morgan is a 21-year-old vocalist from Buffalo, New York, currently a rising senior at Yale. In 2017, as a first year at Yale, Morgan was the first openly non-male singer tapped into the Duke's Men, which is now known as Duke's, D-O-O-X, of Yale, an award-winning and historically all-male undergraduate singing group founded in 1952. Fast forward to today, and Morgan is, as I said, a rising senior at Yale, currently on a leave of absence to avoid Zoom college, and to sing with the Yale Whiffenpoofs, one of the world's oldest collegiate a cappella groups. Morgan, thanks so much for joining us. We are super excited to talk about your experiences at Yale. I am so happy to be here. Woohoo, Morgan, I am, uh, as an alum of the Dukes of Yale, I am particularly excited to chat with you today. Um, and I almost skipped over one of my favorite parts of these interviews, which is the icebreaker, because I feel like I've gotten a chance to get to know you over the last couple of years, and especially the last couple of weeks. But here we go. Let's jump in for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Morgan, what's your favorite emoji? This is a good question. Um, <laughs> I am right now particularly fond, this is like a niche one, of the red guy with the long nose who's turned a little bit to the side. Um, <laughs> I feel like it communicates like frustration, but also a kind of playfulness that um, has been really useful in pandemic as like things are less than ideal and changing, but like we're, we're being cool with it. I like that. I like that. Zane, as a, as a father of a four-year-old, I feel like you could use that uh, yeah. pretty often. But yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to find that guy. Uh, so that, that's great. Uh, Morgan, tell us maybe a little, bit about, um, a little bit about you and tell us about your musical journey. Totally. Yeah. So I did not really sing until, before I got to Yale until I got to college. Um, I have a cousin in my family who's like the singer. And so I, I, <laughs> I was always sort of like, mm, maybe not like I like singing songs, but um, the whole singing thing, I will never catch up or like be able to um, do that without feeling like I'm in her shadow. Um, and so I grew up playing flute. I at one point was one of the best three flute players in Western New York in seventh grade, um, like out of all that of the seventh graders. Um, <laughs> and so that's where I got like my early musical education was in band and orchestra. Um, and then I went to girls school where um, my same cousin was leading the acapella group there. And she was like, I mean, you have good pitch. We need people with good pitch. You should come and hang. So I came and hang, uh, came and hung. And then I ended up pitching that group my senior year. And um, then came into Yale with a really robust love for close harmony. And speaking about the singing uh, situation at Yale, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that acapella scene is like there. For those who don't know of it, uh, maybe you can describe a little bit of like what it's like to land as a first year at Yale with acapella looming large. It, it looms large, and, and that's not an understatement. It feels kind of silly to say, or like silly to imagine that singing groups could be like a culture on a campus, but at Yale, there are 14 of them in the singing group council, which has to exist to organize all of us, and then more that are independent. So upwards of like 
20 groups on a campus of 6,000 people who are singing without instruments. Um, and in particular, those 14 groups of the singing group council have rush every year at the beginning of the year where we all compete for first year's love and attention and voices um, to, to end up singing in our groups. And that happens like your first week on campus. So you come, you have orientation, um, you hear from Dean Chun about what it means to be at Yale and how it's like okay to get a C and then you are just like bombarded with flyers and things begging you to come and see these 14 groups perform. Um, and I, like, I would say that acapella at Yale is sort of analogous to Greek life other places. Frats at Yale are not really a popular thing. Um, singing groups are much, much larger. And at least for me, where I stand, singing groups at Yale have formed the bulk of my social experience. So how did you how did you specifically then come to sing at Yale? Did you just get sucked into and particularly in singing with a, a group that was then known as the Duke's Men? How did that um, how did that come to be? Yeah, I I knew coming into Yale that I wanted to be in one of these singing groups. During Bulldog Days, which is like the, um, you just got admitted to Yale, come to campus and see what it's like, please come here. Um, I There's a big event with all of the singing group council groups where they're all in different rooms and they have unlimited Popeye's biscuits and donuts from the donut place down the street um, where, yet again, it is a competition for attention and fervor. Um, and I went to that and saw a handful of groups that I just like completely adored and was drooling over. Um, there was a guy who like stood on a chair and then tipped the chair over and it was very sexy. And I thought that was very cool. <laughs> um, uh, and was just enchanted by that. And also the way that they all seemed to really love what they were doing and really love each other. Um, and coming into Yale, having a bit of a like imposter syndrome inferiority complex was really excited about being a part of something in the way that being a part of an organization like singing groups at Yale is. Um, so I came in like gung-ho, ready to audition. One of the first friends I met at Yale was someone who I did audition prep with, who ended up joining Shades of Yale, which is another group, um, and had actually heard of the Duke's Men first when a like upperclassman who is assigned to mentor me over the summer sent me a Yale Daily News article that was like the Duke's men accepting people of all genders for the first time ever because it was sort of like big news in I think July when when it was announced because it was the first really like big singing group um, or like well-known singing group on campus at Yale to rebuke the the all-male tradition um and i got that and was like oh cool wasn't like looking at them but that's nice good for them and then ended up being wooed um, over the course of over the course of rush which includes auditions but also meals rush meals with current group members and concerts and parties and um 
all all the things that make you feel as a first year like you are wanted by something. What was it that in particular that wooed you? Because here you are, you're not even thinking about singing, you know, TTBB, like all men's rep, um, or traditionally all men's rep. And now you're just meeting folks and you're suddenly like, hmm, putting it into the consideration, put, putting it potentially in your wheelhouse. What was it that, that hooked you in? I, I mentioned on my first rush meal that I had like done some arranging and I put that in air quotes because that looked like me singing lines into GarageBand and not even transcribing them, like singing them back to learn by ear um, with my singing group in high school. And one of the people on that rush meal pulled out his laptop and opened up a Sibelius file of our arrangement of Toxic, uh, which I had heard because I had really done my homework. And it was like eight lines and ridiculous splits and the most like mind boggling thing that I had seen. And I also had like heard the end result and was just like uh, overwhelmed um, at how musically like challenging and innovative and interesting it seemed to me at the time and sort of still does. Toxic is one of those Duke's arrangements that's like, okay, you had a studio and somebody told you you could do anything and so you did this, um, which is something I really love about Duke's um, in, in like now being a part of it. But it, I, I was enchanted by how much the people really cared about the quality of music that they were making that it wasn't just um, a lot of singing groups that you'll travel. That's a big draw. So part of the advertisement is come sing with us. You'll sing a bunch of gigs during the year and people will clap for you. And then you get to go to like Ecuador or China or Greece for free because we go to Yale and people want to hear white boys from Yale sing songs. Um, people are like absurdly nice to white boys who sing. Um, and and so that was like, eh, cool. But I was really interested in having a musical experience, especially because I wasn't going to do musical theater or like classical singing at Yale. Um, and so the fact that they were enthusiastic about sharing that with me and were interested in, at least in that moment, before I was even in the group, interested in the fact that I also wanted to make music and that I like really appreciated what they had done was, um, it was nice. Let's hear a bit of that Yale acapella sound that wooed Morgan into joining the group formerly known as the Duke's Men of Yale. From their 2017 album Golden Hour, here's the Duke's Men performing Britney Spears' Toxic. Baby, can't you see? Can't you see I'm calling? A guy like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm falling. There's no escape. I can't wait. 
think that dukes was the first ensemble to make that transition to to opening it up to all genders so something that giacomo and i were talking about a little earlier or something that giacomo told me about was apparently the pink wave that happened in the 90s of of the group right so um if you want you can tell well, the, the pink wave was basically what we were referring to as sort of like in the mid-90s, it was the, the first sort of wave of openly gay members in the group. And I think it was during a time when it was still, you know, the Clintons were in office. I mean, the first Clinton was in office. Um, Don't Ask, Don't Tell had just become policy. And so, like, it was very much still this culture in this time of, like, 
uh, you know, uh, let's let's not let's not uh, be terribly out or whatever. And the Dukesman at the time was the first group where we were like, you know what? Actually, we're going to break down these barriers. Like, it's fine. You can you can audition. You can be openly gay members. I mean, and it's sort of what's interesting uh, uh, in thinking about. Um, it's something that Mari uh, Mari Isabel Valverde told us, which is, um, you know, when we asked something about the first trans folks who were part of a group or the first non-binary folks who were part of the group, and she's like, oh no no we've always been there. You're just aware of it now. And it was the same was true in the mid nineties where folks were coming out. It's like, we weren't the first gay members of this group. I mean, please, it's an, it's an all men's acapella group, like at Yale, of course there's, you know, there have been members throughout it, but it was something about that period of time where the mentality shifted and it just wasn't a big deal anymore. And so the fraternity that existed extended into what we called the pink wave, which was more and more members felt comfortable coming out. We started tapping uh, members who were openly gay and now it's just not an issue at all. Like, I think that uh, it's sort of followed suit, which is interesting to sort of follow up to you, Morgan, where now you've got the Dukes who are like, you know what, we're going to smash one more barrier. What was that like to be the first person now who was joined into this group? And you told me a little bit about it a couple of days ago, but um, I guess, did you did you even think about it that way? Is this momentous thing? Or were you just sort of like, eh, I just want to sing? From what I understand, or actually before that, um, something that is important about what you just said about gay folks always being there is that I am almost 100% certain that non-male people have always been in Dukes, like long before I got there. And so there's a big YDN headline and a big hoopla because I have this hair and this body that screams that I am not like the people who have come before me in this group in this very obvious way. But I'm also extremely aware that that is only the narrative because I am because my non-maleness is so obvious um, in a way that the the gender diversity of the group hasn't necessarily been in the past. So there's like something about optics there. Was it a was it a big deal? I mean, what was the experience like for you to be the first person? I mean, did you think of it as this momentous thing? Um, no. For me, I just, or did I think about it as a momentous thing? The short answer is no. Um, Part of the transition was aided by the fact that there were so many queer members of the group and so much gender diversity from the get-go. So I didn't feel like my presence there in that environment was a massive departure from what the culture of the group had already been. And I also, like I'm I'm a gender studies major in college. I'm like very liberal, I think, when it comes to gender. <laughs> um, and, and so for me, it was a little bit like an experiment, you know? Um, what would it be like? I think, oh, oh and, and this is also important. So I, in, in talking with some of the other members of my TAP class who were um, invited into the group in the same year that I was, something that is true, I think, is that I didn't expect really to fit in anywhere at Yale to begin with. Um, coming from what is essentially the Midwest, um, near Canada, equidistant, like people don't believe me when I say this, but Buffalo is the same distance from New York and Philly and DC because it is so far west. 
Um, and being like black and Hispanic and having, um, and, and like using they, them pronouns. And, um, I, I didn't expect that it would be easy for me to fit in anywhere. And so it wasn't as if I was giving up something by joining a group that was composed of people who were ostensibly unlike me in this very important way, which made it feel very easy and not risky in the way that I think people imagine it was. So what did you think? Here you are. You're the first person who sort of breaks this barrier for these all men's groups. And then I think was it the next year or maybe two years later, you hear that the Whiffenpoofs, which is the oldest, founded in 1909, the oldest, I think, collegiate acapella group, certainly oldest at Yale, but I think it is actually officially the oldest collegiate acapella group. Uh, follow suit, and and they're known for. I mean, for for our listeners who don't know, I mean, the the, the Whiffs have a August history. They're, you know, Rudy Valley sang the Whiff and Poof song. It was actually, I think, part of like World War II history and the CIA. And there's all sorts of crazy thing. I think Ella Fitzgerald was an honorary uh, tap into the Whiffs and things like that. But um, here they are now. They have sort of changed this as well. And it feels like there was a little bit of a wave that that sort of uh, followed suit. What do you think when the Whiffs followed suit? It was the same year, actually. So I was tapped in the fall, and then that same spring, the Whiff and Poofs all of a sudden had a member who was not a man. Um, and that also is a thing with its own history. It is not as if the Whiffs one day up and decided, mm, we're over it. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna like break this. 110 year history of there being no woman in this group and like do something different. It wasn't that. People have been agitating for the whiffs to include people who are not men since at least the 80s, if I'm not mistaken. For there's a long history of protest auditions of very talented non male singers auditioning for the whiffs just so that they can make them say, yes, you are a better vocalist than like a third of the people who are going to invite into this group, but you still can't hang because you are a woman. Um, and, and so there was a long history of that happening probably every year. And I, oh, actually, <laughs> this is like maybe a part of the history that isn't talked about often. There are like articles in the Yale Daily News about it, but the same class of Whiff and Poofs, it was Kenyon Duncan's pitch year. So the class of Whiff and Poofs that voted, yep, we are going to audition, or like we're gonna welcome in people of all genders. There were a lot of Dukes in that class. And I think that the Dukes having had that conversation at the same time in a situation that maybe felt lower stakes um, primed some of them to have that conversation with regard to the whiff and poofs. And if I'm being honest, when her name's Sophia, the first non-male whiff and poof, when she was tapped, I was sort of like, damn, I sort of wanted to be first. <laughs> <laughs> in my heart, you broke that barrier first as far as, not even just in my heart, in fact, you 
broke that barrier first, as far as I'm concerned. And and by the way, for folks who for, for folks who are listening and may not understand this, by the way, the way that the acapella system works also is that there are two senior groups. There's the the Yale Whiff and Poos, which had traditionally been an all male group, and Whim in Rhythm. And there are what we refer to as the undergraduate groups. So your freshman through junior year, you sing with a group like the Dukes or the Alley Cats or Mixed Company, and lots of wonderfully incredibly talented groups. And then when you're a junior, you audition to get into the Whiff and Poos. So that's where Kenyon and other folks had come in with informed opinions and said, hey, it's time for a change because we just have been having this conversation for some time. Let's hear some more of that new Duke sound. Here are Morgan Baker, Paloma Ortega, and Charlotte Polk singing Fleetwood Mac's Landslide. Took my love and I took it down I climbed a mountain and I turned around And I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills when the landslide brought me down Oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? Can child within my heart rise above? Can I sail through the changing ocean tide? Can I handle the seasons of my that a lot that so many people had been agitating for so long to have to include women in the whiffs is because the whiff and poofs are an insane experience that is facilitated by the Yale name in which um, for at least the past decade or so 
All 14 of the Whiff and Poofs have taken the year off to sing 200 concerts and travel the world. Visit all six inhabited continents. It is a, I'm told, <laughs> lush lifestyle um, where you are jet setting and you rack up all these frequent flyer miles. And it is, and and it is a six-figure a year nonprofit organization. And for all of its history, there were no women just because. Obviously not just because, but there were no women just because, and that obviously felt really unfair and there is and continues to be a massive gap between what the whiffs do and what women rhythm does um because of a number of very complicated factors that the that every group at least so long as i've been at yale has been working to um rectify but it yeah it's an important thing that happened and uh, like it's like sort of it's a very liberal kind of thing you know to say mm, yes this bastion this concentration of privilege let's make it better by inviting women and acting as if that like you know solves the fact that it's sort of messed up that we as 21 year olds who are like you know it's a new whiff and poof, whiff and poof group every year that we get to piggyback on the the reputation of this institution um and and profit so much from it um but that's why it was important for you know the, the weeds we're here <laughs> <laughs> well let's let's talk about that maybe let's let's shift into sort of some of the the, the musical details if you will of singing with uh, the Dukes. So tell us, what part do you sing? Do you do you still consider them to be the TTBB parts, or like do part are parts meaningless? As of today, we still identify as a tenor baritone bass group, and that's on our website, and that's what you'll hear us say. But internally, the the voice parts mean very little, um, especially when you're thinking about what the, the 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 span of notes that you would sing as a T1 in arrangements like post 2020 like 2000 much wider than the span of notes that a tenor one would sing um in arrangements from like the 60s 70s 80s so to say that we're like a tenor baritone bass group if you're imagining that we're singing traditional choral voice parts is misleading. I would say that T1 is more comparable to like an alto one SOP2 part in an SATB group. So how has the rep actually changed then since you've joined the group? Um, the I, I think the, the way that the repertoire has changed has been reflective of broader transitions in vocal music. There, like specifically with regard to changes in recording capacity and amplification, we can do things now that you wouldn't have been able to pull off in like 2000 just because of like the way that mixing and mastering has has advanced. So there's a lot less homophony in the music that we sing now. Um, but we also sing a lot of music still from the 70s and 80s, especially when we're performing live, where we don't have the benefit of multi-track recording. 
So I was going to ask as well, um, and it sounds like one of the things, um, I happen to be part of the group that did the very first, uh, gosh, what was it, the collegiate acapella competition that we did with good old Deke Sharon and we went to Lincoln Center and I think we were runners up to the Lorelei's of UNC at the national level. So we run around telling everyone that we were, while we didn't win, we were the best all men's group that year. So like we took that and just ran with that marketing. It didn't do us much good, but we still ran with it anyway. Um, But you all now are known for doing um, quite a few different adjudicated competitions. When did that, I mean, why that tradition seems to have continued on? What do you all find interesting about it? That is a very new thing. And really only a thing because of the pandemic. In a normal year, we would be spending most of our time in rehearsal or gigging. And that's probably eight to ten hours a week, depending on the week. And so there's not a ton of time. Or I'll backtrack. Um, there are groups, and there's one group on campus that does this, that spend their time preparing for these uh, these competitions. It's a very particular kind of thing where you have like a 10-minute set and you rehearse the heck out of it. We choose not to compete and instead choose to focus our time on gigging live to make money to be able to go to Greece and Ecuador and, and what have you. So. That is typically our focus. In pandemic, where obviously that's not possible and we're not rehearsing six hours a week, it's been a question of, well, like, what do we do? <laughs> and the, the fact also that the ICCAs were virtual this year meant that we didn't really have to do choreography, which we don't like to do. We didn't have to rehearse a big set and like be ready to perform it live. Um, and, and so a lot about pandemic has played to our strengths as a group, especially recently. Um, we have had a lot of fun and a lot of success with recorded acapella, especially. Um, I, I have this list on my phone of the many like things that we've won in just the past year because we've had the opportunity to focus so much on recording. And um, yeah, so it's really been a thing that's been born out of pandemic. Let's hear one of those award-winning recordings, an arrangement of Wolfpack's Animal Spirits. story song, a triumph and a glory song, with only one small caveat, this one hasn't happened yet, and it's not the strongest narrative, but details aren't imperative, what matters is the way it ends, they've got 16 mutual friends, animal spirits, heartfelt lyrics, you can feel it, it's a song everyone knows. Animal spirits Heartfelt lyrics You can feel it It's the way the story goes Everyone 
seems unaware That these two are a destined pair But I've checked out their astral chart This one is a work of art Oh, I know she reads astrology And he can't stand astrology But he's quick with an apology When he wise cracks a zodiac And she's got animal spirits And he's got heartfelt lyrics Put them together and you can feel it It's a song everyone knows And she's got Action rises. There is only one thing left, and that's the oh, the cloud. Um, what your experience was like and sort of coming into the group and for you it sort of felt like a bit of a non-issue and it sounds like for the members of the group it was also a non-issue as well have other groups followed suit i mean are, are you seeing aside from the whiffin poofs have any other groups sort of made the same leap not as of yet i've heard rumors that like as you do that some of the other all-male groups on campus are considering going all gender, but it's, um, there's been no actual major movement on that yet. Well, let's, let's, to play devil's advocate, why wouldn't you? I mean, why wouldn't these groups do that? Is there something that's unique or different about, um, why, I mean, do do you have any thoughts about why there, these other groups might still exist on campus and potentially not invite non-male members? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that people said about Dukes as Dukes was preparing to go all gender was was this catastrophizing about, well, once you have people who aren't women, the sound, or people who aren't men, the sound is going to change and the sound of the group is going to get worse because women can't sing tenor and um, it'll ruin. It'll ruin the sound of the the, the, sanct- the sanctity of the sound, if you yeah. will. I don't know who blessed it, but apparently there's a sanctity of the sound. A lot of rhetoric about purity and preserving this thing that, frankly, for a long part of Dukes' history, um, wasn't super sophisticated. Um, there, it's an interesting question and a worthwhile question about what is worth preserving in tenor baritone bass music, what is worth preserving in um, about like 
music and ensembles that were intended to be all men, I believe very strongly that it would be wrong for a group to do it just to to go all gender just on principle. And for that reason, I am glad that what we are not seeing on Yale's campus is historically all male groups rushing to go all gender because they're told that that is like the right thing to do. Um, Something that was important to me in feeling comfortable joining Dukes was that I knew that every single person who I would be singing with wanted me to be there. Every single person had voted and said, yes, I am excited about singing with somebody who is not a man, maybe, if they happen to materialize in auditions. And if that weren't the case, if I hadn't been 100% sure, then that wouldn't have been a space that I wanted to be in. Um, And so I think that it's important that groups really do answer that question for themselves about what what is worth preserving, what the core of the ethos of their group is. And for Dukes, the people who came before me decided that actually being all male wasn't core to what it meant to be a member of Dukes or the Dukes men. For other groups, that might not be the case. And I think that that is important to recognize. Now, what I will say is that none of those premonitions have come true about people who are not men ruining the sound of the group. We just released a the last of our two-part album that we've been working on for the last two and a half, three years. And the silent killer on especially the second volume is one of uh, a woman who we tapped uh, last year, Archer Fredima. I mean, she's on almost every track and is like, it turns it out all of the time. She just adds something that is so special. And I think the same goes for Charlotte and Paloma, who are also the other non-male members of Dukes. And, you know, it's the four of us and that's all there are. Um, And we have the awards to prove it, frankly speaking. Um, We, I think, just recently won um, runner-up best collegiate song mixed voices at the Contemporary Acapella Recording Awards. And if, you know... There's, there's incongruency between the, the assumption that having non-male voices will ruin the sound of the group and the fact that we are turning out music that slaps. What was the song that won the award? Um, I think it was Levels. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Levels, which also won, like, won outright best mixed voice arrangement. So that was also done by Ethan Tryman, who is our like star video editor and and such a gem and such an asset. Here's that silent killer, Archer Fredima performing with the Dukes, singing the first solo on Levels by Nick Jonas. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
interested to talk about the about the sound of of du- about duke's sound before and after the inclusion of all genders um i actually personally went and and looked up some older albums and listened to you know what the sound of of duke's before you were introduced into the group and then before this newest um you know two-part album that y'all just re- released um and, and so i have a few opinions about the differences between the sounds but i'd actually like to hear you know your thoughts you know what what do you think differentiates the sound between the older sound or an all-male group versus a group that includes all genders but is still written for the same quote-unquote voice parts that's a good question. Um, and I'm really curious to hear what you have to say as someone who's not inside of it. Because to me, to a certain I've never sung with the group when it's been all male. And so to me, the sound of the group that I'm most intimate in, with is the sound of the group with me in it, even as we're singing those older arrangements. So I, I don't, yeah. But um, I think what... And, and I was just talking about this with Ethan also that the I, I was lamenting and I was saying, oh, like the way that we sing open arms now, which is a, an arrangement from 
time ago. It's just not the same as what it was with it, like when I, when I was a first year. Oh, poo, too bad. Um, but then in saying that, I was like, but wait, like the way that we sing, the other music that we sing is leaps and bounds better than than how we were doing it the, my first year in the group. So I, I would say, and I'm curious whether you agree, that I think our high end has become far more sophisticated, versatile, um, facile. Uh, I think that's, that's probably a big difference, especially live. Um, I, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what you think. <laughs> well, I, f I feel the same way, you know, as I listen to, obviously I, I, I didn't, wasn't able to find like a, a song that was recorded pre all gender and, and then another, that song again being recorded by an, the all gender version. And so I couldn't compare, compare apples to apples exactly, but I did feel the same way that the, that the upper range of the sound is, it's sweeter. There's something more generous about it, something more tender to, to the upper part of the range. And that's, I mean, that's just a, a physiological thing. I mean, when you take a, a, a male voice and you have them sing up in this upper register, but in a certain style, because that's the style of music that we're talking about, there's a, an edge to it. And uh, a, a non-male voice doesn't have that edge, which to me, I actually preferred, but I could see why that, you know, and, and Jacqueline and I talked about this a little bit earlier in like a barbershop quartet, right? Part of what makes a barbershop quartet sound like a barbershop quartet is the fact that it's all male voices and they do everything they can to match the timbre of their voices, right? So that it's, it's almost like four of the same voice just singing in different ranges, but so much of the color and the timbre of their voices is identical or as identical as they can get it. And that's how you get that pingy sound that a barbershop quartet has, which is what I think we love about a barbershop quartet. And one, uh, I'm going to point at Giacomo because he would make this argument, I think, is that there is an aspect of acapella choral music that should have that sound, that characteristic acapella sound of all male voices, but singing in a range that's higher up, that has that like edge to it, that ping to it, that a non-male voice doesn't necessarily have. And and I would argue that there should be room for both. And I think actually, Morgan, you're making that argument as well in your statement that you're glad that of the 14 acapella ensembles at Yale, they aren't all just jumping on the bandwagon saying, well, we should just be all gender because that's what everybody's doing. That's the right thing to do. Maybe it's not the right thing to do because the sound that they're going for as an ensemble should be that the former should be the sound of all male voices singing in that range and having that edge. Um, so, I mean, I could talk about this for a long, long time, but <laughs> um, those are, those are my preliminary thoughts about the differences. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always just to add my two cents to that. I've always thought that that homogenous sound is also just kind of boring and that's so not Dukes, right? Like I think anything we've ever done is just going to be uh, iconoclastic and different and weird. And we always try different <laughs> things and we're experimenting with the sound to try. I mean, some of the arrangements, even when we think, of, oh, I don't know, some of the more recent arrangements like um, 
oh, I don't know, What a Good Boy, which you sang, which was fantastic, which has lasted 20 years. And then um, what was the f- uh, the Fleetwood uh, Foxes, the, the Fleet Foxes, what was the... Um, helplessness blues helplessness blues yeah um uh, which even that arrangement i just think it sounds because what's funny is that when you look at the history of the last 30 or 40 years right like men's voices have been creeping up so that the new sort of standard is that men who sing like there's a joke that like everybody's a baritone but really i'm a countertenor you know i can also be a bit of a countertenor and actually it takes a very special voice to sing those parts very very well and they are few and far between actually and what you wind up with instead is sort of an insistence on like, well, men's voices can do this and we're just going to squeak and shriek our way all the way up to the top. And it's actually not pleasant very often. <laughs> you know, like you, you wind up with something that is not, not only is it not homogenous, it's just not very good. And so it's interesting to be like, well, these are the arrangements. This is the music. This is what we want to express. Here you go. Let's, let's add some non-male voices to really round out the richness of that sound. In my, for, for my two cents and for my... Uh, ticket price. I I like to hear that a little bit more myself. Same. There is so much to pull out from this discussion. Um, one of when I was a first year and I was the only non male member of the group. I uh, the the two other T ones in my section both had that very like strong like nasal placement barbershop sound that you're talking about, and I worked so hard to be able to pull that out of myself for the sake of blending. And I got very good at it, but what it has meant for me as someone who's becoming more comfortable soloing and um, less invested, or like similarly invested, but um, less willing to just be a shoe singer um, and have that be the thing that satisfies me is is breaking out of that because really Dukes has been where I've learned to sing, and so I spent the first year where I was singing the most ever in my life, learning how to emulate that sound that really didn't sound like me, and as and was like a, a bias that I've had to that I'm still working on unlearning as more people with very different voices come into the group. I came in and was like, gotta assimilate because I was the only one. Was that expected of you? Was it ever expressed to you like, uh, okay, uh, Morgan, you, you've joined the tenor one section and well, you know, we'd, we'd like you to sound like the other tenor ones. That Was that ever expressed to you or implied or in any way whatsoever? It was all, it was all your own. Yeah, that was all me. Nobody ever said to me that I needed to sound differently. And I think a lot of that was me wanting desperately to be good because what I what I didn't want was to to be a part of the group and to have people question why I was there. I did a lot of work to make sure a lot of work and a lot of mental labor to to convince myself and to do the work to make sure that that wasn't the case, as if I can control how other people perceive me and my presence in the group. And that became very obvious to me as like we'd sing concerts and do Q&A's and people would ask me silly questions. Um, but no, nobody was asking that of me. It was really me demanding that from myself. And it's been a process and a time for me 
to really come around to the fact that the the upper end of our group can sound different and be good and be really good and and be something different that you know really serves the voices that we have instead of the voices that are like on the studio recording or the voices that we had 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago. And I feel really privileged to be a part of a group that is really intentional about that. Um, the other place that that shows up is in auditions. So the year after I was tapped, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, what do we, what if anything do we want to preserve of this very particular, you said, like barbershop kind of sound that has an edge? What if any of that do we want to preserve? And what does that mean for the number of non-men that we can admit? Because at the end of the day, Dukes is still tenor baritone bass. That is, you know, we have one person who's singing T2, but physiologically speaking, people with like, the, the language around this is hard and, and imperfect, but like people who are not male are probably not going to be able to sing those berry and bass parts and will probably struggle with T2. And so there's like a built-in, there's a built-in ceiling to the number of non-male members that we can have physiologically speaking. And that is something that we, that we think a lot about um, in terms of like if we're a group that's invested in equity what does this ceiling mean for us? Um, but in the, in the moment of auditions, it all of a sudden, like, it couldn't just be about, well, does she have the notes? Do they have the notes? It also had to be about, do they have the kind of sound that we need this person to have in this particular part of their range? Because if they're bottoming out at an E flat, the, there, there was question like, is that enough? to be able to sing the, the music that we currently have. And the music is changing, but like, that's a question. And we had to be um, really careful. Like we didn't have the, I'll, we didn't have the luxury of being able to use euphemism. We didn't have the luxury of, or actually, let me, let me flip that around. I think that we were very privileged to not be able to get away with euphemism about the way that people sound. We had to get really specific about what we wanted and we had to really clearly articulate whether what we wanted was what had come before or something different. And Giacomo, you're right that Dukes has always had this history of being very experimental and you can hear that in um, the what we have recorded. You can hear that in what we attempt live. We because we're not like in the competition circuit, we don't really experience a lot of pressure to sing a particular kind of collegiate acapella. And because we're self-funded and we're not like at the, at the behest of a record label or something, we've got $13,000 and can record whatever we want. And that includes a track like Levels, like um, Dynamo Volition off our most current album, like, honestly, like, like What a Good Boy, which has been re-recorded a number of times that are sort of like, mm, is this going to work? <laughs> or like, 
you see it on paper and it's like, mm, I don't know about this one. Um, and it's been really cool to be on the leading edge, um, to be, to be, yeah, sort of independent in that way. And, and so there's a lot of continuity, right? Let's hear some more of the richness of the new Duke's sound with that sophisticated, facile, non-male high end. Here's the Dukes of Yale performing Dynamo of Volition by Jason Mraz. I got the dynamo of volition, the purple position, automatic transmission with the old emission. I'm a brand new addition to the old edition with the low condition. And I'm a drama abolitionist, I have no opposition to my proposition. Half of a man, half a magician, half a politician, holding the mic like ammunition. And my vision is as simple as light. Ain't no reason we should be in a fight. No demolition, get the vote, get to say what you like. Procreation compositions already written by themselves. Heck is for the people not believing in gosh. Get them way up high, give me, give me that high five. Good time. Get them way down low, give me, give me that low dough. Good guy. Bring them back again, give me, give me that high ten. You're the best definition of good intentions. I do not answer the call if I do not know who is calling. I guess the whole point of it all is that you never know really. Trying to keep with the Joneses While waiting for guns and the roses To finish what we all suppose Is gonna be the shit assuming It's gonna be the you like oh nothing can stop you
definition of good intentions. You're the best definition of good intentions. You're the best. You're the best. You're the best. So let's talk about, in our last few minutes we've got together, let's talk a little bit about your next stage because you're singing with the whiffs this year, which means sad face emoji. Um, you may or may not sing with the Dukes again next year, but this now means you are what we colloquially call an old guy. And I think we're in, all of the language here is going to have to change, mm-hmm. which means you are going to now become an alum of the Dukes. What do you imagine that this process is going to be like? I mean, what do you think is on the other side of that door? Well, for what it's worth, our language for alums is all has become gender neutral, I guess, since you remember. So we'd call what I'm becoming crust. I am drying out. I am becoming old and brittle. And soon I will just be... Morgan, uh, you're talking to two middle-aged men here. Be careful. <laughs> I, I'm going to be desiccated like the rest. <laughs> um, but something that I've really valued as an undergrad is having a connection with the alums at the very least the ones that have like stuck around um and it i mean collegiate acapella is just such a particular time and such a particular space and my it's not something that you can really like share with your parents (laughs) <laughs> or like the the people who are outside of it it's it's really niche and so it and and also collegiate acapella has been a really important part of my time at Yale and my growth as a person and as a leader and as a musician um and so it is nice to know that this thing that I'm doing has a history and that there are people who like that, that that there's like a history and a legacy and and people who like who who care who are outside of our little tap class or or active group and the the alumni association so formerly the dukes men alumni association just changed its name from the dema to the dema um <laughs> dukes and dukes men alumni association and i think that that is an important gesture at the least that the the formal alumni association is making that in a year in two years there will be non-men who are alumni of the duke's men of yale um and i mean also there you know there's there's been hoopla and and misunderstandings across the board about what it means for the Dukes to be all gender. Um, Older alums who have more of an investment in the space as a particularly gendered homosocial space. Um, You know, they've got their attachments to what in some ways is a different group. But I, I think it's also true that something that it like is true of probably most institutions, but most especially Dukes, is that like the only thing that's continuous is change, right? And and the the people who are around, I think, really understand that uh, and are invested in the group becoming whatever it's becoming. And 
Well, Morgan, I can say as a member of the board who witnessed all this from the other side that we couldn't be more thrilled um, for your participation. And I'm going to also just go ahead and on air make a pitch for you to join the board at some point. It won't <laughs> be very long before we're going to need that leadership to kind of continue into the future. Because I think it's I think you bring a very unique perspective as um, the first non-male to sort of enter that space. And I think, but you also maybe I mean, this is another question for you, which is like you may just be done with it. You're just like I I did it. I'm tired of talking about this for now. And I mean, what is your perspective about that? Does it feel like something that will you'll carry forward with you for the rest of your life? Or is it something that you're kind of like, I need a little break from that? No, absolutely. Um, when I was in high school, I was like doing a lot of diversity work and like uh, worked on a like affordable housing thing and a campaign to like get a guy off the Buffalo Board of Education. Um, and so I was like agitating and I came to Yale and was like, nope, no more. I'm going to take the time to really figure out what it is that I want, because in some ways the, the sort of agitating work that I've been doing has um, not left so much room for other parts of me that I'd like to nurture. And, and then like in my third week of college, I was on the front page of the YDN and it's a big thing. Um, and all of a sudden I'm in this position again, accidentally on purpose. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a thing that will always be true. I will, I don't think ever forget the morning after tap night putting on my t-shirt because everyone has to wear their t-shirt the morning after tap night when everyone's picked. Um, and it's saying like having the Duke's men across my chest and going to my 9 a.m. Spanish class and being like, is anyone going to say anything? Just terrified that some someone would say something. You, I could not tell you what I was afraid that they would say. Um, but that happened and has really shaped. It's been a really, I think, fantastic opportunity for me to do my own thinking about what like the role of gender in music is and sort of problems of embodiment. There's a, a strain of gender studies that's um, not super interested in the body because it's far easier to think about gender as something that's in only in the psyche because you can do anything in the psyche. Um, whereas the body is a thing that maybe asserts itself a little bit more um, intrusively. And it's been fascinating to think about that and, and <laughs> what's happening with that in vocal music. Um, and it's, I feel very privileged to have been part of such an intentional community in transition. And that, I think, more than the title of being the first non-man in the Duke's Men is, is what I'll carry with me. Um, yeah, so you just mentioned uh, going the, the morning after tap uh, night, what'd you call it? Tap night? Tap day? Tap something. Which is when you were selected uh, to be in Duke's and you got that shirt that said Duke's Men across the front of it and you wore it to your class the next day. So, you know, the question comes up then, you know, what's in a name? We're... Were you 
you know, did, did having the name men's across the front of your shirt, was that something that really struck you as being weird or out of place? And then in that same vein, I wanted to mention this new CD that you guys just came out with, which again, there's two volumes of it. It's called this name volume one, which was released in 2020. And then this name volume two, which was just released God, just a few days ago. Um, and I looked it up on Apple music yesterday to, to listen through some tracks and I couldn't help but notice that the, the name of the artist is Dukes of Yale, D O O X of Yale. And then it says in parentheses featuring the Duke's men of Yale. And I thought that was odd. And then every track also does the same exact thing. It says featuring the Duke's men of Yale on every track. And I just thought, I don't understand why there's this need to hold on to this. What now I believe we're, we're labeling as an archaic label for this ensemble. And yet it's still attached to the new name, the new name of the group. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Like what, why? <laughs> There's a number of reasons for it. So one of them is practical. We, during Rush, when people are Googling us and looking us up, we want people to be able to find us under both names. So when people search Dukes of Yale and they find our album, we want people to know that there's like another 20 years of recorded music from what is a continuous group that they can go and they can listen to and they can enjoy. So there's the the brand continuity question, which was a big conversation for us when we decided to change the name during my the summer leading into my second year. Um, and that mostly happened because we all agreed that it would be silly. Like I, I would have personally felt so silly going up to a Rushy and auditiony and being like, hey, want to join the Duke's men of Yale, not all men, um, that that would have just been bad and confusing for everyone involved. Um, so yes, there's the practical reason of we want people to be able to find us under both names. And then there's the, um, I don't know whether to call it like respect or, or reverence or there's, there's the question of regard because I personally was was a member of the Duke's Men of Yale. And so were, I'd say, probably half of, more than half of the people whose voices are on that album. And we named the album this name, quite obviously, um, as a reference to the, to the question of like what's in a name and, and what is important to keep and what is important, um, what's, what's worth keeping and what is worth moving on from and this this yeah this then the the double names the featuring is is a manifestation of that and that's also the um it, it's the same kind of question as like do we rename the alumni association right that's good so it doesn't bother you per se to have no. the duke's men still attached to this new title yeah and it won't be forever future albums will I imagine not be released under the Duke's men um, because that's not the name that we go by anymore. Morgan, what have you got coming up that you're excited about? It's now your senior year, your WIF year. You're sadly not going to be able to do the, the full extent of the WIF tour thanks to COVID. 
Um, but what have you got coming up that you'd love to call our attention to? As of right now, as of today, planning to travel, planning to do public concerts that are COVID safe, which is very exciting. Um, talking about like being on the leading edge, it is so exciting to be a group of people who are in a position to begin to imagine what gathering and music and community might look like in the aftertimes or the, the, the long aftertimes. So, so barring any complications or um, really unfortunate worsenings in the state of COVID in the US or in the Bay Area, we will be in the San Francisco area between July 19th and July 31st. And so if you're interested in seeing some live Yale acapella for the first time in a year and a half, then you can go to whiffenpoofs.com. That's W-H-I-F-F-E-N-P-O-O-F-S.com to find more information about ticketing for our public concerts. I imagine we'll also be doing some live virtual stuff. We did some of that in um, when we were all quarantined together in February. So if you hop over there, then you can find some information about that. Also with Dukes of Yale in particular, lots of video content coming out right now. So you can find us on YouTube for um, that, for Animal Spirits, which was our um, ICCA semifinal runner-up award-winning music video based off of our new album and also that's the one that starts with a little reference to the game animal crossings right yes yeah. that's really great yeah um and we'll probably dukes will probably be releasing a like deluxe album that includes that i, I don't know if you call it remix or a rearrangement um of animal spirits the wolfpack song and some other like uh, virtual choir stuff that we did. We did a re-recording of Helplessness Blues that'll probably be on there. Nice. Yeah. Oh, Animal Spirits is a Wolfpack song? Yeah. I love that band. Oh my god. Giacomo, are you familiar with Wolfpack? You told me about Oh, them. I did. Oh god. I just, wow. I love everything they do. <laughs> we, Dukes love Wolfpack. Oh yeah, it's ripe for, for acapella picking. Mm-hmm. Um, this is great. We will definitely put all the links in the show notes as we always do to um, all the websites that we want to bring everyone's attention to and to the videos and the YouTube channels and all of that stuff because uh, Dukes is doing doing some good stuff. I, I definitely went down the rabbit hole last night and thoroughly enjoyed myself listening uh, to the new CD. And in fact, uh, your your solo on What a Good Boy. I, I'm a, I have been a huge Bare Naked Ladies fan for most of my, my adult life. Um, and and so I know that song very well. And I've now heard three different versions of it, of that arrangement um, that Giacomo has shared with me because of his connection to Yale as well. But uh, I, I think yours is my favorite. Thank you. Yeah, I just, there's, <laughs> and you know what? I got to say, it comes back to what we were saying before about this, this sweetness is not the right word, um, but there's a, there's no like sharp edges on your solo. It's just, it just hits the emotional um, aspect of the song in a way that I don't think the other soloists did. No offense to Holcomb um, or to anyone else who's sung that solo in the past, but I, there was something about your rendition of it that I thought uh, really hit home for the song, for the character of that song. That's what I think. So I really appreciate that. Thanks and we'll, so of course, play it, play it on the show for, yeah. for our audience so they can hear your beautiful voice. 
Morgan, thank you so much for, for being with us and for having this conversation and also for being a member of the Dukes. I, I have been so thrilled to see your journey and I am excited to see you on the other side of the Rainbow Bridge with the rest of the crust and the crusties or whatever you call us now, but you're, you're one of us. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I'm, I'm so happy to be. And obviously I, I love the Dukes, the Dukes men and, and will continue to also thanks so much for having me it's been such a joy i don't really get to talk about this all that often anymore because it's been like you know forgotten lost to the annals and there are far more important things happening right now than um what happened in yale acapella in 2017 but i appreciate the opportunity to talk well we appreciate having you on the show thanks for joining us thanks so much all right have a good evening To end today's episode, let's hear Morgan singing the solo on an arrangement that has not only stood the test of time, but has also adapted over time, just as the Dukes have. Here's the Dukes of Yale singing What a Good Boy by the Bare Naked Ladies. Don't rush. A dip dum dem, a dip dum hey dum, a dip dum 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 Take much 
for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at inunisonpodcast.com. You can follow us on all social media at inunisonpod. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think. Tour schedules distributed by Chorus Dolores. Who knows, happiness is two things. 
a cat named Jerome, and singing in choir. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.